Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as the founder of a dental hygiene marketplace called Flossier. It's <laughs> funny. That's funny. Anyway, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today, we're going to play an interview I conducted on Monday with Emily Weiss, the founder and CEO of Glossier. We spoke at the 92nd Street Y about her online beauty business and why I think Donald Trump needs the boy brow. Let's take a listen. Thank you. I heard there was a line outside. I'm sorry if you guys were cold. Are you all right now? So I'm excited to do this. Last time I was here, I was interviewing Hillary Clinton. Uh, so this is a step up. Um, so, uh, and before is that, it Michael, the same chair? It is not. She was sitting right here, avoiding oh. my questions. Um, so, but you will not, right? Correct. No. Okay. We have a lot, and I told Emily I'm super interested in business. I, I'll confess to you, I'm not the biggest beauty person, as you can see, um, but I, and I wore my fancy jacket tonight for you, uh, Emily, um, but I do want to talk a lot about the business, because I think it's really important, uh, not just women-led businesses, but businesses, startups, and how they're doing, and so I wanted to sort of get started to talk a little bit about uh, where Glossier is right now. There's a lot about the origin of Glossier, and I want to get to that in a minute, and we're going to take questions from the audience, but talk about where Glossier is right now. Yeah, so Glossier is a pretty um, unique kind of beauty company uh, that's also a tech company, uh, so it's hard for me sometimes to answer that question, are you beauty or are you tech? I think we're both. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, at a glance, we're uh, about 200 full-time employees mm-hmm. across three offices, New York, uh, Canada, and London. Um, we're about 70% female. Our board is 60% female. Mm-hmm. Uh, our engineering team is 50% female. Right. So it's, it looks a little different uh, than most tech companies. Um, and uh, we just crossed last year well over uh, $100 million in revenue. So right. We're very excited about that. So when you say you don't know if you're a beauty or a tech company, explain that for me. Because a lot of, you know, you know yeah. different companies, they, they say they're mm-hmm. a tech company or they're a media company or mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Do you have to choose or how do you look at that? So the way we look at it is that we're building this people-powered ecosystem. Um, We have co-created since we launched four and a half years ago with our consumers. The reason we're able to do that is because we know who they are. Mm -hmm. So we have a direct relationship with every single person who uh, buys something from us, unlike, you know, all of the incumbent companies that have been built through um, retail channels. Right. We've never existed through retail channels. Uh, we don't have plans to exist through retail channels. Um, and the reason being, we think that uh, you know, through using technology, we can do three things very differently than what uh, all beauty companies have done in the past. One is channel, the second is discovery, and the third is listening at scale. All right. So... So uh, explain those. Explain. Sure. So, you, so, so when I'm talking about, because direct, uh, direct relationships with consumers are a thing people are fighting about right now. Amazon is trying to, uh, is, has completely overwhelmed people by doing that, by having the data on people, having the relationship mm-hmm. with everybody the way retailers didn't, and brands are fighting back. Yep. You want to own that relationship in a similar way, or how do you think about that? I mean, fundamentally, we just think about how do you give people amazing experiences? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in that way, perhaps we're similar to Amazon in that they're extremely devoted to the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, we're very devoted to the customer from the standpoint that uh, we don't want to put things that aren't amazing into the world. So mm-hmm. since we launched, we've always uh, relied a lot on user-generated uh, content and feedback. Which is um, how it started, right? Which is really how it started, yeah, out of you know a blog that began uh, in 2010 that was all around this premise that people are going to drive purchasing decisions in the future. Mm-hmm. Not algorithms, not you know upselling, cross-selling. If anything, upselling and cross-selling 
people's opinions, right? Helping to evangelize people's voice mm -hmm. um, such that people can, can decide what they want. And um, at Glossier, we've really taken user feedback uh, and asked them for things like, you know, what products to make, um, where to go in terms of pop-ups or countries, um, and fundamentally have been able to uh, really change the relationship between brands and customers. Because, you know, traditionally, the way that I grew up with beauty products and brands was always um, sort of from brand kind of speaking tops down to customers, saying you're not good enough, saying, you know, um, you don't know what you want, let us tell you what you want. Like sort of take this lip gloss and use it. Yeah, really, really dictatorial. <laughs> Really dictatorial and kind of, I think, in a way, like really um, not giving people enough credit to be able to say, hey, actually, like, uh, you know, I use this deodorant every day, so I am an expert at this deodorant. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> seriously, like, we're all experts at right. the things that we consume and the things that we use. Right. And what we're trying to do is provide the tools, be it the physical, you know, products that we've right. created over the last four years or the digital conduits that we're creating now and in the future to help people use their voice, to help people really use their voice and say, hey, how can I help someone else, you know, talk about what they've learned about mm -hmm. beauty and, and, and their and their products and hopefully, you know, inspire others. So that's, that relationship, you're trying to basically shift a marketing relationship on its head because usually companies market to, to customers. You're using their feedback to do that. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've just typically had a pretty simple premise, which is um, make incredible things uh, that can really stand the test of time. That has equaled so far building these very modern essential products uh, that we hope become icons in the same way an iPod phone or a, you know, Air Jordan become uh, essential products. So across. like Boy Brow is like an Air Jordan. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully in 30 years time, Boy Brow will connect, you know, a 15-year-old in the Middle East to a billionaire in Silicon Valley and will be cross-generational and cross-socioeconomic. And mm -hmm. um, we get very excited about creating quality things that make people want to talk about them, mm -hmm. just period, full stop. And 70% of our growth so far has been through owned, earned, peer-to-peer -peer or organic because people just fundamentally want want to share that they enjoyed their boy bro. Right, and then you make products based on that, or pull products based on that. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say our approach has been, this is something that, you know, people are really curious about, I think, especially in this age of, like, machine learning and, like, mm -hmm. we really getting... For us so far, you know, a lot of it has been quite, like, analog. It's just been, you know, posting on the platforms that we have uh, or in, you know, a Slack channel where we have a lot, like, several hundred top customers and saying, you know, what's your dream face wash? And sometimes that's the way in which we will make product decisions. Um, but typically it's, it's really an art and a science and it, it really depends on the project and, and how involved we're going to get versus also just be, versus just sort of say in the office, what are we excited about? Right, that you, but do you, would you consider any part of the company being the creative part? Because uh, you, know, you were saying art and science, last person who said that was Steve Jobs was talking about the idea of that it wasn't technology, it was an art and a science together that created the iPhone or whatever other products. They were thinking of it that way and did not, but they relied largely on their creativity. Versus. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We stay very connected. I would say every every team at the company, we're about a third tech across, you know, engineering, digital product, data, design. Um, and then we have an in-house uh, creative team. We have in-house uh, R&D development. Um, and... I think I, I think we're all very connected to the to the customer. I mean, we have all of our net promoter score, you know, feedback and comments from every single customer who answers it, constantly ticking into a Slack channel that everyone from me to my assistant to, you know, an intern can read every day just to stay connected to the customer. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it's a single comment, or sometimes it's a macro trend that we uh, that we hear about that translates into you know innovation. Can you give me an example of that? Um, let's see. Uh, I mean, the thing that really stands out to me, which I, I, I find hilarious, is when we uh, launched our Milky Jelly Cleanser and Milky said, Milky Jelly Cleanser. Milky okay. Jelly Cleanser. It's our third best selling product. Yeah, I'm aware uh, of Milky Jelly Cleanser. Oh, oh, I went to your LA and store. And she says she's not a beauty. No, I don't girl. use I'm not. I don't use your mil Milky Jelly, right, right. whatever. Um, <laughs> I went to your store in Los Angeles and I observed many people excited over your milk. That's great. Cleanser. Well, a lot of them said, you know, he said, who would play your favorite, who would play your uh, dream face wash in a movie? Okay. And they said, um, Emma Stone, Eddie Redmayne, Julianne Moore, 
I'm what? like, you guys are really answering this, right. and okay. they did, and I, I thought that was very interesting because they all had sort of, you know, fair skin and sort of, you know, red hair, and we thought like, okay, maybe this is about like sort of like a sensitive skin wash or something that, right. you know, and, and so I would say that's quite art, artsy, yeah, art and sciencey. So you, that's what you went with. Yeah, we had helped. So it was it, interesting because in the in the LA store there was a mirror that said objects are dewier than they appear, and I was not dewier at all in that mirror, but. Uh, <laughs> And I've never been Dewey, but um, I'm hoping someday if I use milky gel, whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> but but you, so, what, so what did you do then? But when you, okay, we're going to do an Emma Stone face wash. Well, first of all, it influenced who we shot for the pictures. So we right. cast a, a redhead who looked very Emma Stone-like. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, I mean, I'm being, I'm being a little facetious. That, that did happen, and that was, you know, it's certainly an input. But, you know, what we learned from, from people was that, um, you know, anything from one comment that said, hey, why don't you cut the, rose, the, the, the water with 50% rose water? Mm-hmm. That would really add some, like, hydration. It would smell amazing. We thought, that's a really great idea so let's mm-hmm. do that so I think that's a good example of you know we you can you can be a incumbent beauty company and you know pay Google like I don't know a hundred thousand dollars to serve you the top beauty search terms or trends right. um, or you can read you know one of the five DMs that Glossier gets a minute mm-hmm. and there might be one nugget in there that says hey why don't you cut the right. rose water have 50 percent rose water and that is like an aha moment for us. So and your customers like to do this, like to be heard, because it's it's interesting. Like it's a little like Tom Sawyer painting the fence kind of thing. Is you get your customers to tell you, do they feel then that they're part of it, or that they because I mean, they I do can... have sort of like backstage. We had two people already obsessing of you, and everywhere you have a lot of fans who are like very much into the brand. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to use the mm-hmm. word cult because that's a kind of a loaded term, but mm-hmm. it's a little culty. You know what I mean? I don't, what is it? It's a big fan base. Yeah, I mean, listen, when I was growing up, uh, I, I loved beauty. And I would go to the mall and I would go to CVS and I would try beauty brands. Even when I was growing up, and this might have been, whatever, 15 years ago or tw- 20 years ago, um, we were still in a time where again, brands really controlled how you felt and, and right. really really kept a wall. It was not so long ago, let's not forget, that companies rejected the idea of even having social media teams. Right. It was like five years ago that some you know, companies would say, oh, we're not going to invest in Facebook. Oh, we're not going to you know, hire a, a social media editor. Mm-hmm. And so there's been like a real lack of transparency right. between you know, major companies, be it mm-hmm. beauty and other brands, retailers, you know, uh, consumer brands. Major lack of transparency has historically, um, a major number of hoops to jump through before you can actually connect to a company. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think about, you know, brands of the future and sort of consumer behavior and where that's going, you have, you know, 80% of millennials saying that, uh, you know, they trust a stranger's review on the internet as much as a loved one's opinion. Mm-hmm. You have people saying, seriously, you have people saying when a Postmates doesn't get there, guess where you can go? You can go on Twitter and like tear into Postmates for yeah. all of your 200 followers or your, you know, mm-hmm. 2 million followers to see and hear. Mm-hmm. So the customer has never been more right mm-hmm. than she is right now. She has never wanted to be more involved with the things that she buys from a value set perspective, um, from a, uh, you know, how can I be heard? I want to be seen and heard. My opinion matters. So why do I just did that with Home Depot and I got a free dishwasher? But, um, <laughs> but, and it works. I'll tell you, mm-hmm. it does help to have mm-hmm. a lot of Trudeau followers. But um, most of mine are like nerdy guys. But that's okay. Um, so when you when you talk about that idea of social media and using it, why do you think that is? Why do you think beauty morphed into that? Or is it that there's sort of corporations largely run by men, largely? What do you think the reason is? Well, it depends what what you mean by, by you know, people getting into it. I think in general, you know, this is a highly emotional category. Mm-hmm. Um, be- and beauty is an incredible conduit for connection. And, uh, you know, increasingly... Um, why haven't they? What I mean is, why didn't they? Why was it done? It's done in a Well, I hear technology is... I mean, right. you didn't have... Instagram launched... Mm-hmm two months after Into the Gloss launched in 2010. Mm -hmm. YouTube and its rise of the beauty influencer really only happened in the last five years. Mm -hmm. So, um, So A, it wasn't possible. But B, I think, you know, the consumer again had to really break free from this notion that she didn't know enough. 
Or know? that it's an industry based in fear. Exactly, and that, hey, you look good, but you could look better. You're really mm -hmm. missing something, you know? And it's really been this industry based on a lot of rules and a lot of sort of like, this is how it's done. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's a really exciting time because, uh, because of, I mean, obviously it's a scary time in some ways because of what social media, we're seeing the underbelly of it and, and, and we're seeing a lot of disconnection. But what's interesting is what's possible when um, you can really think of the kind of utility in being able to connect through a topic like beauty and be able to help one another from all corners of the internet. So of those social media platforms, I assume Instagram is your most powerful vehicle or not, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, w yes, Instagram we launched on um, four years ago and, and uh, we have about 1.7 million followers now um, and uh, almost half of them are actually not even in the United States. Mm -hmm. what do you, how do you use it? What is the way you think about it? I mean, we think about it as sort of our number one social, our number one social media channel. Um, a lot of customers write into us, so again, we get sort of we get five DMs a minute, uh, which we we respond to, um, and we really care about this one-to-one, -one, you know, about the customer. So our, our customer experience team is actually in our kind of marketing team. It's not sort of this like dark corner of the office where, mm -hmm. you know, you have to like slave away listening to, like asking, answering where people's um, packages are. Like an mm -hmm. overwhelming number are ideas for us that they need to filter across the company. Um, and so, uh, Instagram for us is, has been an incredible tool to, you know, show a lot of user-generated content. Mm -hmm. um, we show a lot of other brands because what Glossier is here to do is not just, uh, you know, sell Glossier products. It's actually to um, kind of increase the entire pie when mm -hmm. it comes to this industry. That's 450 billion, going to be 750 billion in five years. Mm -hmm. What we're interested most in is creating this democratized conversation. Mm -hmm. And so, what we do a lot of on our on, on our channel and Instagram. Instagram is really celebrate people's stories. So we really say, we try to find people who maybe use Boy Brow or a Glossier product, but what we really want to do is sort of evangelize that person's whole routine and all of her discoveries across whether that's a L'Oreal product, a, a Mac product. Um, we don't see them as competition. Really? No. And, you know, if you think of other kind of direct-to-consumer categories, be it maybe a suitcase or a mattress or something like that. So Casper away. You choose one. Okay. Well, it's hard. They have massive competition because you mm -hmm. choose one mm -hmm. every 15 years or right. every, you know, 10 right. years. Right. Like, and that's your choice. And yeah. so if you don't make that sale, then you have to wait another, you know, how long to sure. get a, sure. a new mattress. Right. Whereas, you know, as we all know here with, like, beauty products, personal care products, it's, it's, you have, I have five lip balms from different brands in my bag. And I yeah. think it's, it's really important just to, again, kind of encourage that, the conversation to happen, period. Like yeah, I last bought my last mascara 15 years ago, but that's okay. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break now, and we'll be back after this with Emily Weiss, the founder and CEO of Glossier. Hey, it's Tom Warren, senior editor at The Verge here. Microsoft is in an era-defining moment. It's betting on AI as the future of work, its Xbox business is going through transformational changes, and the Mac versus PC war is about to be back on. So I'm launching a newsletter called Notepad. It'll be your inside guide to all those changes and beyond. From details on the next Xbox to that one time every Microsoft employee named Michael appeared on a mysterious email list. Whatever is happening at Microsoft, you'll be able to read about it first in Notepad every Thursday. Go subscribe now at theverge.com forward slash notepad. So let's talk about that. So you, Instagram, what else works for you? Or what, do you, what other platforms? Does Facebook itself, even though it owns Instagram? Um, yeah, I, I think so. I think we mainly invest in Instagram, but the thing that we're really excited about right now is actually designing our own platform. Um, right. And You've talked about this. Yeah, when so, is that coming? Uh, I think you'll start to see things pretty soon this year. What is pretty soon? Well, I'm not going to tell 700 people. So Why not? Eh, you know, because my team would kill me. All right. Um, but I thought we like to share customer feedback. They might have yeah. some thoughts. You can find me afterwards. Right. No, I, listen, I, again, if you, if you think of beauty and you think of these platforms um, and kind of uh, what people need with relation to beauty, it is a very subjective category mm -hmm. uh, where there's no one right answer. There's no single source of truth. You know, my best uh, mascara could be your no mascara. Right. Right? And, right. Or your wrong mascara. Mm -hmm. And it's really about, you know, finding the person who you trust. 
And if you look at how people are um, searching for beauty products today and potentially fashion products or other more subjective categories, your best choice of action is going to Google and typing in best mascara. Mm -hmm. And it's not until page you know, seven that you find a non-SEO, non-branded, non-compromised, non-da-da-da, just a human being whose opinion, you know, you right. learn more about this human, you they, they also had a wedding where they needed a mascara that wouldn't drip and their eyelashes are also short and sparse or whatever it is. Yeah. That's a tough journey. You're in like the land of 15 tabs. Mm -hmm. It's like 30 minutes later that you're like, oh my God, I finally figured it out. And this kind of corroborates what's happening in stores because you have 50% of people who go into a store today who ignore the salesperson to take out their iPhone to either text a friend saying, I'm standing in Sephora, what mascara should I get? Or they go on Google search. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you think of the existing kind of social networks, they're really networks, they're not utilities. Mm -hmm. and, um, and we think a lot about, well, what would happen if there were, you know, a social utility wherein people could really, you know, connect to find the ins information or the inspiration that they're that they need really quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so that's what we're working on. So it would be not expert based. Nope, there is no expert. Okay. Surprise, you know, because a lot of we're what's all happening on experts. Every one of us has an opinion about the stuff we have put on and either thrown out because we thought it sucked or we use it for 30 years. So, how do you differentiate between the experts and people that could invade a network like that? Like, as you know, social media seems to have been used in the recent election to mess things up, but you can see the, the abuses in social media. For sure. How do you do that? Because if you, a lot of things have been based. Like YouTube right now, the beauty stuff is all around experts. Yeah, I think there's something interesting about following. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, again, gets into the sort of, you know, the perverse kind of incentive when you want to, when you're kind of incentivized by, do you like you or the idea of you? Or, and are you getting rewarded for being you versus are you rewarding for a piece of content that really helped someone, mm -hmm. right? Like, like this, thank you, this was a great, like, recommendation. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we think a lot about um, the possibility of really positive spaces on the internet uh, for women. Mm -hmm. We think a lot, or let's say majority for women or women-based. Um, we think a lot about uh, the value in utility and sort of social utility in the future of um, kind of more utility-based networks. Um, utility is an interesting term, meaning that just useful for the user. Yeah, useful for the user. Because Mark Zuckerberg actually called Facebook a utility to me when I met him 2000, whatever, five. Mm -hmm. um, and in a lot of, and then now I've recently said, well, maybe it should be regulated like a utility. But, but the question is, when you mean a utility, is that it just, it's just a helpful place versus a social place or a commentary place. Right, You're, you, have, you come with the desire to get information or inspiration from a person who you trust. And what and does that, make that do for your company then? I mean, I think what's, what's interesting for us is A, we sort of achieve our mission of kind of giving voice through beauty. So mm -hmm. really activating, you know, people to be able to say, to sit up a little taller and say, this is what I know, this is what I think. Um, and moreover, I think what's really important that I spend just tons of time thinking about is how on earth are we going to be able to continue to like listen? Mm -hmm. You know, we started with a blog where it was very manual, very analog, mm -hmm. two times a week. Um, that's not really a good way to give people, to help people find who or what they need because you're mm -hmm. only getting whatever, 54, 80, 80, 88 pieces of content a year. Right, right. So how are we able to you know, provide people with, with quicker matches and better matches? And as a company, how are we going to be able to kind of you know, listen at scale to user feedback or to, to people talking about what sucks about beauty and what they want in beauty? Which you're already doing by getting the incoming. You're just putting, pushing it out again, presumably. You're already getting this incoming from customers, correct? Yes, but today, you know, it's not, we haven't done nearly enough to be able to sort of organize scale it. our ability to organize that in such a way that we can make sense out of it. Presumably then you could sell them anything, correct? Or not? Is that not even in your thought process? Well, we're not thinking about that because I see them as two very different sort of things. I see one very much as sort of a software product that's all about, again, kind of democratizing beauty and being, letting people sort of share everything and anything that they've used and learned about with no kind of interruption, no sort of like ads or, um, yeah, no interruption and no sort of like limitations or <laughs> censorship. Um, and I see the other as being able to continue to create hardware and physical products that mm -hmm. um, hopefully continue to represent, hopefully people are like, oh yes, that's exactly what I wanted, thank mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. um, but. 
I don't think a lot about kind of how do you uh, how do you sort of push product into you know an environment that where people are not looking to buy things but are more looking to just discover answers. Your hundred million dollars is based on the products you sell, yes, which is your business is selling actual the software. Correct, part of the it. hardware. The hardware. I'm yeah. sorry. Hello, yeah. <laughs> I've been Silicon Valley for twenty years. I should have gotten that right. Um, yeah. So, so, the, but so you don't marry the two of them to bring them together. The idea of it. No, I think it's just, again, about listening so that we don't have to manually, like, go through every single comment and be like, right. how many times did someone say, you know, like, conditioning, right? Mm -hmm. And we can say, all right, people are really excited about conditioning. Mm -hmm. Like, are, the, are they happy with the products that they're using or is there an mm -hmm. opportunity to do something better? Right. And it's interesting because even today we say no to, like, you know, 20 out of 21 ideas whenever it, the question is, can we actually put something out into the world that's like better than what exists? Mm -hmm. That face wash that I described, mm -hmm. we were supposed to launch with a face wash. That was sort of the goal at the launch of the company in 2014. Mm -hmm. But I looked at what we had after 20, you know, iterations and said, is this actually better than what exists? And the answer is no. It's like, does anyone need another beauty product that's like, okay? Mm -hmm. You know? And so, um, that's why we've kept our, our entire, like, you know, I think we have a total, we launch a new one every couple months. We're at, I think, 29 products now. Yeah, you have only 29, excuse It's me. not that much when you look at other beauty companies, whether they're, you know, incumbent companies or whether they're um, new startups. Right. Um, and part of that is because of our channel. We sell everything direct so we don't have to worry about okay. shelf space and filling up a gondola with, you know, a bunch of stuff just so we right. can get the real estate. Right, right. So... That keeps you from scaling, correct? I mean, you're you are in the you have a VC funding. You have how much money? Eighty six million dollars. Yes, which is a large amount of money. Mm -hmm. um, so, does that keep you from scaling or not? Because you also haven't expanded internationally quite as aggressively as other startups. Yeah, uh, well, it depends. I mean, in the DSC space, I mean, I, I can't think of a lot that have gone international. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, for us, you know, we have always focused on I would say two things that have. I'm very proud of, um, or I would say three things. One is very intentional growth. So if we wanted to, you know, 5X revenue overnight, we could just go into multi-brand stores. Conditioner, We could for just example. distribute. Distribute, right. To, just distribute everywhere, right? right? For that Walmart, That would really wherever. ruin our ability to think about ourselves being able to create long-term value, I think, mm -hmm. um, with that one-to-one -one customer relationship. Um, so intentional growth. Again, that's an example of really intentional growth. Um, Two, I would say, is uh, focus. I mean, we've said no to a lot of things, um, including, you know, opening hundreds of stores, for example, mm -hmm. of hundreds of Glossier stores, even though our two stores do incredibly well and are very popular. Um, and then I would say the third thing is just quality. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, I think it's never been harder to create, you know, like longevity, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in, you know, physical products. I mean, we're in an era of fast fashion, fast content, um, you know, just the attention span of people and of consumers. Very twitchy. Yeah, it's very twitchy. And so to think that you're trying to build, you know, something that is going to continue to re be reproduced in, it's not an MVP. It's not about iteration. It's about creating a physical thing that is going to grow with people, you know, over decades. Over decades. Um, and that's, that's really kept us, uh, kept us focused. Do you get pressure from your investors? I mean, again, $86 million is a lot of money. It's a lot of money, but you know we've 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 really done a great job of sticking to our plan. I mean, we've had triple-digit growth year over year for for four years, um, uh, with really amazing repeat rates. Fifty percent of our revenue last year came from repeat customers, um, and our NPS, even as our net increases, so we had over a million people, you know, become customers in 2018. Um, and typically, you see NPS kind of going down, right? It's harder to maintain quality in that yeah, kind of recommendation yeah. while ours is going up. And again, I think all of those results come from this, like you know, obsessive uh, devotion to to the customer and making the right decision for people. So, talk a little bit about the management. You've had some management turnover recently. Um, a lot of other startups. It happens. It's happened at every startup I've covered. Um, some make it through it well. Some people don't. Um, and it's a difficult transition for smaller companies to go larger. I assume your goal, even if you have intentional growth, is to get larger, is to get bigger. Of course. I mean, we think about, as I mentioned, longevity, like, you know, this is, this is 60 years later. So, so when you go, the move from 100 million to the billion is really hard. To get here is not easy, but it's much easier than here. And a lot of companies 
Uh, Nasty Gal was one of them. They just sort of topped out there. Um, at the same time, uh, Rent the Runway had struggles and then moved up, you know, and then went to a public offering. How do you look, what is the pressure on you as a, a young executive? Or this is your first yep. job, right? Yeah. No, you had other well, jobs. So your I had first other jobs, CEO certainly job. the only CEO job. Right. Okay. Um, well, first of all, if you have any tips, let me know later. I do not. Backstage. I'm a failed uh, CEO. Secondly, um, no, listen, I mean, I remember reading a long time ago, one of the first books I read five years ago uh, before launching was Ben Horowitz's book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Yeah. And I believe it's a quote from him that is, no one prepares you to be a CEO, you become a CEO by being a CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly every startup has its own, well, certainly there are growth stage challenges that every startup faces that I don't think this is, you know, my or anyone else's first time at the rodeo experiencing mm-hmm. these things. Um, but I also think, uh, you know, not to kind of beat a dead horse, but staying very focused mm-hmm. uh, has been something that, again, I'm, I'm very, very proud of. And so there hasn't been this kind of attention creep or the sort of, you know, um, pressure. We have a great board. There hasn't been this kind of growth at all costs approach, either internally or externally. Um, from our investors yet mm-hmm. uh, um, because they really believe in the long-term ambitions and the, and the potential of the company. Do you, this recent, your, your longtime president and COO, COO mm-hmm. moved to CFO, left, right. What, talk about that a little bit. What was that experience and what are you looking for now? Because I assume, because yeah. you made some, a bunch of people left. You've hired a bunch of people, yep. pretty much all women, mm-hmm. um, yep. and, which I applaud you for. Um, but what... What, what has happened there and how do you think about what you need to take to the next level? Yeah, well, we're, we're certainly a growth stage company now. So, you know, I think about it a little bit like we spent the first, let's say, two, two years, two, three years making something that anyone gives a shit about. <laughs> That's like your goal as a startup at first, mm-hmm. you know. And now our goal is really to build an enduring business. You know, there are a lot of mechanics and a lot of, um, you know, biz ops and processes and people processes. I mean, people alone is such the heartbeat of a company. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we have 100 part-time employees just in retail, just in two stores, in addition to our 200 full-time employees. So the needs of the company are, uh, you know, have have changed into the point about learning how to be a CEO. Um, My job changes every quarter. I have a whole new set of responsibilities that I've, you know, never faced before. And so I lean on, um, you know, mentors like Katrina Lake, who mm-hmm. joined our board last summer, um, who she's has the had CEO of, CEO of Stitch Fix, Stitch. who had, you know, took it public. So she's, you know, one of very few female, you know, CEOs she's who've indeed. taken their companies public um, and generally found a lot of success in, uh, in surrounding myself and talking to people who are basically like two steps ahead, right? All is well and good to read books, you know, by Howard Schultz and amazing, you know, like leaders who are 2,000 steps ahead. Um, but I find what's most helpful where we are right now is to um, find people who are, who are, you know, a couple years, a couple years ahead to really help see around those corners and make sure we're making smart hires for. So you're looking for, the next for those growth. CEOs now, or that, or COO now, or not? Correct. Not everybody yeah. has a CEO. Yep. Yeah, yeah, we're we're looking for someone in that sort of COO president role. And but you want to firmly remain CEO. Oh yes. Right. Yeah. I figured. I figured. <laughs> yes. That the only answer to that was yes, and if you said no, it would be bad. Yes. Um, so so what are the pressures on? How do you feel you handle the pressures? What do you do well and not do well when you're in this? Because you're one of the few. Yep. You know, you can put the female CEOs in tech-related companies. Yep. I think on one hand. Yeah. I mean, I mean, female CEOs at public companies went down last year in number, in total number. Um, last year, I think it was, what was it, 4% of venture deals went to female CEOs. 2% of venture dollars went to female CEOs. Um, the, the percentages are, you know, even lower for women of color. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, we have such a long way to go. Um, and for me, I don't spend too much time thinking about that. Um, I, I recognize the responsibility I have, uh, you know, as a female CEO, but I really just focus on continuing to build a massive, I just want to build, a, you know, a, a great company that brings a lot of joy to people. And um, um, I'm just going to keep doing that. So you don't think about your role as a, a woman leader at all? No, I, th- I, I mean, you don't I don't have to. I just, I mean, just... listen, of course, you know, it's, it's, it's apparent. It's apparent mm-hmm. in rooms at conferences. It's apparent yeah. in rooms around tables with companies. 
it's not apparent at Glossier because you know we're, we're overwhelmingly female. Um, but I think the most important thing just as an executive uh, that I've learned, and people say this, but it, it's really true, is getting really good at knowing what you're good at and what your value add is to the company. And so for me, you know, I, I really lean into customer um, sort of touch points. Mm -hmm. I really lean into brand marketing, to product, um, to digital product now. Um, and, you know, I, I love to learn and I'm incredibly curious about, you know, other functions of the business and experts who, who come in to lead those functions. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that's been really important is honestly just a core value of Glossier is just curiosity. And the interesting thing about when you're curious, it, 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 it goes hand in hand with humility. Mm -hmm. If you're curious, it means you're saying, I'm really wondering about this. I don't know about it. Yeah, I don't hear that much when I, people I cover. Um, <laughs> not at all, in fact, never once. This is the first time. Um, so <laughs> I think I'm great, and I think I can do anything. And that's what I usually hear, and it's usually inaccurate. Um, so um, so you wanted, you, one of the things you talked about, here's a question which I thought was interesting. Um, when you, when you, how do you look at your own personal brand in this? Because a lot of people do affiliate Glossier with you and you with Glossier, and I, it's, it's an understandable thing. Companies do get affiliated with their typically charismatic CEOs. Talk about that a little bit. Um, it's interesting. So I guess there's a spectrum, certainly, in terms of if I think about you know, companies whose founders I, I know or am friendly with, uh, across tech, across brands, um, across media. Um, I kind of, how do I think about it? I've always thought of myself as kind of more of a, a kind of conduit for connection. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really the role I like to play. I think fundamentally the, the most pleasure that I derive is um, A, making people happy. So meaning like creating something that makes someone smile. Creating a product, delivering a package, creating an experience, something that makes people smile. Um, I think I, I, I also... Um, I guess in some ways really kind of stay behind the scenes. Uh, I, I, I like to really play matchmaker for people internally. Um, you know, one of my favorite things is, is uh, kind of helping people see that, helping people sort of realize their potential. Um, so an example of that is, you know, uh, a, a, a woman who stopped me on the subway a few years ago and said, I love Glossier, you know, and I said, well, what do you do? She said, well, I just graduated college. I'm not really sure what I'm going to do. I said, well, I'm hiring an assistant. Do you want to come interview for it? Mm -hmm. And then she became my assistant, and I realized very quickly that uh, she was a good assistant. Even, I don't think she'd tell me she was like, you know, <laughs> it was the perfect fit for her. But she was amazing at physical products, at hardware. She was amazing at ingredients. She just knew, just to, just as a, just a consumer, just really an amazing sense. So I moved her into product development and she created like three of our best-selling products, Cloud Paint, Haloscope, Lip Gloss. I mean, so many like huge glossy products. She was 22 years old. She'd never been in a lab before. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think maybe that's a benefit of being a female executive or a like, you know, a, a woman who didn't go to business school, um, you know, uh, you know, went to art school, just in so many ways shouldn't be here. You know, mm -hmm. like it, it, this is not the path that, why not? Why mm -hmm. couldn't this person who seems to have this great instinct be really good at this thing? Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, I, I tend to stay pretty kind of behind the scenes to try and do as much as I can to kind of enable that magic to happen, whether on a personal basis internally or um, on a customer facing basis with a, with a store experience, with an amazing, with a canyon room, mm -hmm. you know, in, in LA. Yeah. You can go into and, you know, be like, why is this in a store? Right. Why am I in a I canyon? I thought that. That's what I thought. Why you know? am I in a canyon? That's precisely what I thought. Yeah. And then I ran out. Um, <laughs> but, um, but did you get a selfie? I did not. Oh, but there was terrible. a whole bunch of, I'm sorry, I'm just really. <laughs> I'm not a shopper. Um, so um, I had to recently go with my sons to something called Golf Wang, and I'm still recovering from that. Golf Land? Wang. It's, it's, it's Tyler, the creator's store in L.A. It's a pop-up. Okay. Men have, boys have their own thing going on, and it has to do with $150 sweatshirts um, and, and really expensive sneakers, mm -hmm. like a lot of them, a lot of pairs. Mm -hmm. um, so it goes, it's really 
very expensive. Um, in any case, I'm losing my train of thought. So, so I want to finish on the business, then I'm going to ask about a few of the prizes and then get to questions from the audience. Um, what don't you think you do well? What don't you want to do? What, what do you think you either need to improve on or what don't you want to do as a CEO? Um, I mean, one thing that you know, I'm very, very excited for is um, to create this new paradigm of commerce that is much more emotional. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, I think you know, Amazon really solved buying, mm -hmm. but it killed shopping in the process. Yeah. And, and increasingly, the sort of humanity of mm -hmm. like, you know, things and sort of con the connections you feel with people or the information you want from people um, and the kind of human kind of experiences are going to, I think, be harder and harder to come by. And mm -hmm. I think if you look at, I mean, I was in a mall in Tampa, you mm -hmm. know, over Christmas break where my parents, like near where my parents live, and it was packed. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it was packed with people hanging out, like mm -hmm. people on first dates, families, you know, like who are in town, like getting, going to Auntie Anne's, you know, like, and having shopping and people swarming the Apple store, you know, and, and I'm not saying that all of that means you need more stores. But I do think it's interesting this disaggregation that's happened where shopping is the purview of Instagram. Like, what if what is Instagram if not HSN? Mm -hmm. If right. you really think about it, mm -hmm. like how many of you we how many of us are just scrolling, looking at our friends and people we follow, saying, Ooh, "Who makes that lamp in your room? You know, who, where what what sneakers are those? I'm not talking ads, right? I'm talking right. like right. this is the new you know QVC or Home Shopping Network. Mm -hmm. So at the same time, then you're kind of clicking over to sort of Amazon. On your, it's the turning into this fulfillment kind of right, which they know, do beautifully. Algorithm, which they do beautifully, and no one will ever compete on that. They have solved it. Mm -hmm. But with 10% of commerce in the U.S. happening online, that means 90% more commerce that is probably going to move a lot online. Mm -hmm. And you do need these kinds of conduits for people to be able to influence and inspire and sort of have that human connection. Well, merchandising. Closer. Want. It's like the, I interviewed years ago the guy who started Crate and Barrel, and he took a, two to, a 20 cent plate and sold it for $8 because he put it in the beautiful setting. He made people feel good about it. it, it which was kind of awful to do, but nonetheless, he was creating an emotional feeling around. Yeah, it. just how how are how are these you know uh, you know how are these human connections going to you know develop? Like you said, ten years ago, you know, Facebook said we're facilitating connections. That's what we're doing now. You see, you know, studies coming out saying actually, your people are very depressed, mm -hmm. you know, through this process. And, and so where is that all leading? And I think a lot of it is going to be this intersection of topic-based networks or topic-based kind of communities. Right. Um, and, you know, inherent in this is like, how are you solving this kind of beauty conundrum where it's not about, you know, um, a perfect answer, perfect score, perfect algorithm. It's like a head scratcher. Right. And so you need people to populate this kind of emotional space around, around beauty. Which leads me to my, I think your point about buying and shopping is a really smart one, which leads me to the idea, would you ever, could Amazon algorithm you, like essentially figure out your, and do copy that in a way? And then would you ever consider selling? I'm assuming you've gotten many, many inquiries from the big beauty brands. Yeah, I mean, you know, M&A is really the way that, you know, these giant beauty companies innovate. Yes. They bought They're, the shave guy. They bought Yeah, I mean, last night, Elemis sold to Lositon for $900 million. Mm -hmm. um, so it was like 6.4 revenue, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, innovation really has come for, you know, the last decade from M&A. Um, right. Um, we believe that, you know, there's a real channel opportunity here in terms of being direct. It's something that, you know, these, these, these beauty companies have not yet done. Who's to say they couldn't? Um, but they're very hamstrung by the relationship with the big retailers. Um, and... When it comes to, you know, to, to our growth, I mean, we're very focused on, you know, we have, we have a lot of, we have an inherently profitable business model. We have, uh, you know, a lot of runway in terms of investment. We have an amazing team. We're hiring more amazing people every day. Um, so we don't really see any reason to... But, but who are you worried about in that case? Would it be an Amazon? Just... 
I mean, maybe, but we don't spend that much time like thinking about you know competition. We really spend a ton of time thinking about customers. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really so there's no well. there's no plans. That's not your exit rule. Would it be to be have an IPO? I, I I'm not sure what what the future holds, but you know whatever it takes to continue to build this as a very you know for a very long time and as a, into a very big company is is what we'll do. You can't do an IPO now because the SEC is apparently shut down. So. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> We're going to take another break now to use our zit stick, but we'll be back in a minute to this live interview with Emily Weiss, the founder and CEO of Glossier. Um, all right, I'm going to ask some questions to you uh, from the audience. Glossier's success has, a, has largely been built on a close and direct relationship with the customer. How do you plan on scaling your people first approach as a company grows to service more and more customers? Yes, yeah, so are you going to get like bots? Or something like bots, that. You know, bots that talk to you. Um, no, I mean I, I, I think it's um, you know I, I would say that the number one way to 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 do that and to to listen and to serve people better is um, um, I mean obviously a lot of you know technology. So you know a third of our company is tech. It'll probably go more to fifty percent in terms of our, our tech team. Um, I would also say like so much of how we serve our customers is actually our customers talking to each other. Like, I mean, if you go into our, our one of our two stores, or even if you look in our comment section on an Instagram post, people are answering each other's questions. Mm -hmm. So I, I think the ability to, you know, to even just empower our customers, it's not through like rev shares or anything like that, but just, you know, they're, they're, they're really like doing a lot of that, a lot of that work for us. And you and want to take more, that onto your own platform, more of that. Sure, yeah, I think, yeah, exactly. Anywhere that people, any sort of tools we can give to help the beauty conversation um, grow mm -hmm. about Glossier and about just any other products, that's what we'll do. Mm -hmm. All right, how do you attract top female engineers? That's a good question. I think for one, just like having female and top female engineers already. Yeah, uh, that but would gets work. More yes, but someone asked me, how do I get more women in tech? I go hire them. That yeah. Would... <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? Yes. Come on. Mm -hmm. So how, how do you attract them? I would assume that right? a yeah. woman-led company sure. probably going to help. Um, but do you, who, what does that make up on your team? Well, 50%, yeah, female engineers. Okay. Out right. of, yeah. All what, of what has been the most challenging aspect of building a great technology team? That's the next one. I think actually the most challenging aspect of building a great technology team is that I'm not a technical founder. Right. Um, so I'm not, you know, Patrick from Stripe or, right. you know, I'm so glad. Peter from PayPal or, you know, right. I, 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 so I think part of it has just been the fact that it's not, it, it's not, you know, my strength is yeah. the number one challenge, but I'm fortunate that, you know, our, our leadership and, and, and so many of our, our team, they know what they're doing. Like, they're right. amazing. Right. Yeah. You can hire people like that and then order them around. Um, in the age of Trump, ugh, how do you see the world? I'm just reading from the question, but I heartily agree. How do you see the world of beauty and health intersecting with politics? This is from Adriana. Mm. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, Trump could use boy bro, but go ahead. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, how do I see it intersecting with politics? I mean, I think, you know, we talk a lot about kind of the democratization of media. Yeah. I think that's, that's definitely happened with social media. There's certainly a giant, you know, democratization of beauty where everything mm -hmm. is being flattened. There's no, you know, one... Uh, There's no celebrity that pushes it. Do you yeah. worry about the growth of those celebrity? Uh, like, they're all starting makeup. Now, Kylie Jenner has been very mm -hmm. successful, but Rihanna, I think, has one. Yeah, incredibly successful. Yeah. Um, incredibly successful. Uh, we actually recently hired the product developer from who did Fenty, who did NARS before that. Um, so she's on our team. So we have great products coming, coming uh, more great products coming soon. Um, I think using your voice. I think like the biggest, you know, the biggest kind of crossover for us is like speak up, use your voice, talk. It's about often been celebrity based. A lot of the makeup selling, essentially. Yeah, a lot of the makeup beauty. selling. But you know, at Glossier, I'd say this is something that's oh, we've always stayed very true to since like pre-launch day one. Is every single person is an influencer. Right. And I think that that is so the message right now for for politics, for you know, uh, seeing you know all of these women going into Congress. I mean, you're starting to really understand. Um, more than ever, I think, the power of your voice and the importance of your voice mm -hmm. and how necessary it is to speak up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, uh, so you would have, say, 
an Emma Stone-inspired cleanser, but not Emma Stone as the spokesmodel. No, I mean, yeah, honestly, she'd be, like, way too expensive. Right, okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Just wait. Uh, what advice would you give to someone starting out to raise their seed round of investment? Thanks, Wendy. Mm-hmm. The beauty buddy. What is that? Okay, yeah. Wendy, thank you. I think, I think my advice, this is my advice, not I think, because okay. people ask me this all the time. Right. My advice to someone seeking out their seed investment is to understand, and I'm going out on a limb here, this is just my observation. Okay. I believe that a seed investor is really betting on you. They are betting on the entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. They're betting that I can give you this money and I'm not sure what you're going to really make of it because there's going to be so many twists and turns and, you know, you're so early. There's no product market fit. It's just an idea. It's a spreadsheet and a bottle of wine, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Mm -hmm. that's what you got. And, um, And so I think it's really about how do you, how do you sort of sell yourself? And it's not to sell yourself to be, to be right all the time. If anything, it's to say, hey, I will tell you really honestly, like where this could go really wrong. I will tell you honestly, like, you know, what my blind spots are. I will tell you honestly, step one, step two, step three. Um, and I think it's, it's getting people on board with you. I think that's really like the, the secret no one talks about. They think it's all about your deck and it's all about, you know, who you know and all those things. And I do think who you know, you know, does have something to do with it. But I will also tell you that when I was first raising our seed round of $2 million five plus years ago, I didn't know any of these venture capitalists. Like, I didn't even know what venture capital was. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I knew I needed a million dollars in order to like buy, pay for materials that would make beauty products and you know go go produce beauty products. Um, and it was a lot of cold outreach and um, and getting people on board. And eleven out of twelve people said no, or ten out of her eleven, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't it like that Lady Gaga quote? That's like. <laughs> There can be a hundred people in a room, and if only one, whatever. So there was one. There was one Kirsten Green in the room, and yeah, she was an right. SF. And um, did, did yeah. sexism play a part in it? Because every female entrepreneur I know has that moment. I mean, Katrina Lake had that moment. Yeah, listen, I'll be really honest with you. One thing that is just true is it should be hard. It should be hard to build a business. It should be hard to raise money. It's just hard. If it's not hard, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why, but it should be. Like, it should feel hard. So whether you're a woman or a unicorn or a man or whatever, like, it's going to be hard. Um, I'm fortunate. I, well, I don't know if fortunate. I guess it is, but, you know, I'm certainly fortunate to have gotten the funding. Um, I, I did not have, I didn't face any sort of overt, you know, anything overtly sexual, you know, harassment or, I don't know, sexist. Not just sexual harassment, but in general, not backing women entrepreneurs. I don't know. I I was so heads down and just about, you know, knowing it was going to be hard and will I ever know whether or not it was harder because I'm a woman than it would be if I'm a man? I don't know, but I was just focused on winning. Right. So. The only reason, the reason I'm asking is because it cannot be that all men are so much smarter than women that they get all the funding, Correct. No, I mean it's you know it's a lot of pattern matching, right? Mm-hmm. I mean the yeah. the the industry is based on a lot of VCs who used to be operators, mm-hmm. and the people who used to be operators 20 years ago in tech val in tech companies were men, mm-hmm. and so I think it's just going to take a you know it's going to take a lot of work for the shift to happen, but it's already happening. It is. Um, There's been some. There have been some changes in how you come up with funding and everything like that. Yep. I'll, I'll never forget when a VC once. Why I was like, why don't you have more? partners, why don't you have more investments? And he said, well, if there'd been a Marsha Zuckerberg instead of a Mark Zuckerberg, and I said, <laughs> you're such an idiot, I have to walk out of this room right now, because it was like, what are you talking, like, it was, it was, a, there needs to just, it be, was pattern we, matching. Women, was, we just need exactly. to build more companies that are big companies that are paving the way, you know, I think a lot about two things, I think about the what, and I think about the how. I think about what we're building at Glossier, what we're putting out into the world, you know, what value we're creating, what we're disrupting, what we're transforming, and just as important as all of that is the how we're doing it. Because in 10 years time when we are, you know, in the world operating at a very big scale, I want startups in the Valley or startups in New York or startups in Idaho to be sitting around a table saying, how should we build our tech team? How should we hire? How should we do this? And think, what, how did Glossier do it? Because like, they're clearly doing something right and be able to look under the hood at the how we're doing it and say, I'm going to do it like that. Yeah, although often women-operated companies and uh, operated by people of color are often seen as the exception rather than the rule. It's the same thing with movies. Like, how did Black Panther get so good? Maybe you weren't backing them in the first place and so they never got the chance. You, do you know what I mean? So it, does, it's, it, is, it is important that Christian 
started your, uh, Kirsten started your company. I mean, I think she sees around corners be precisely because she's a woman. It seems uh, as though a Glossier average customer is younger millennial. How do you think about growing with the customer through different life stages, ages? Although I did see a lot of mothers and daughters in your store. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I mean, I think the average age of our customer is in like late 20s. Um, in our stores, you see a lot of much younger customers. Um, uh, but Glossier is for everyone. I mean, we do have a lot of, you know, women in their 60s, women in their 50s, women, you know, people who are, I mean, just two hours ago, I was with someone whose 11-year-old daughter had, like, every single product. I'm like, did you even know she had all, he was like, no. Like, where is she getting, how is she paying for this stuff? Um, so, so it's, it's really. Apple pay. And one of the things I'm, I'm actually, exactly. One of the things actually that we're most proud of is, is Glossier is one of the first brands that is being passed up as opposed to passed down. Oh, so people who are, you know, in their teens or in their, you know, early are actually saying, hey, mom, you should really try this, like, you know, brow product. And, and that's been really rewarding. Oh, interesting. I'm never going to have that happen. <laughs> Although I have an awesome set of, um, of uh, like, Ninja Turtle t-shirts and stuff. Um, if you have an awesome product but a small social media following, do you think it's worth spending the energy increasingly increasing followers or focus on other methods of selling direct to customer? Hmm. Well, if it's a beauty product, I mean, you know, beauty's so social. And again, going back to kind of how we grew, it was so much about people who had great experiences with the product. Think about every happy customer, you know, telling 10 of their followers, telling 10 of, you know, 100 of their followers. So I would say it's more important to, fo to, to have an amazing, put something amazing out into the world such that people will want to talk about it. I mean, in all of the fancy ways of, of growth hacking and ways that you can grow, I mean, mm -hmm. I still believe that word of mouth and having someone have an amazing, really like something enough to go tell a friend is like the most yes. traditional and the mm -hmm. most kind of um, like, you know, everlasting in terms of... Yeah, you can't buy love, right? You can't buy what? Love. I mean, yeah, you can't. Yeah, exactly. Well, you can't, but... Well, no, not really. Okay. Um, <laughs> could you describe your prototyping process for Glossier's first products? How did you come up with the formula? How did you test it? And how has Glossier's marketing strategy evolved since its inception? Um, I mean, first of all, is everyone in the office excited about it? Right? So again, that's kind of like the, the kind of litmus test is like looking around when you're showing. And this goes for anything in any business. It's like mm -hmm. if you're all in a meeting and everyone's really bored, like not into like the idea, mm -hmm. clearly like it's not, you know, there's an, there's an issue. So for us, it starts with like, you know, looking around and seeing if everyone's like, Mm -hmm. And then, and then we know we're onto something. Um, every product's different. You know, we have products that take six months, um, six months to, to to produce and to get right. We have products that take two and a half years to get right, like the face wash, took right? Forever. What was quick? Which what was quick? Yeah. Um, so if we're doing a new flavor for Balm.com, which many of you might have, my personal favorite is birthday cake flavor. Uh, if we're doing a new flavor, that's, that's the quickest. That might be like six months or something because the formula's already, you know, mm -hmm. created and it's just about switching the, the flavor. Um, whereas something like an, you know, OTC product, over-the-counter product, um, has an entirely different, you know, uh, regulatory and testing sort of schedule and that might take like, you know, a year and a half or two years mm -hmm. for a sunscreen, for example, or an acne product. Mm -hmm. And what is, what is the one that you, your favorite one that went through? Do you have one besides your... Uh, I think the balm is amazing. I also, um, I'm so proud of our perfume, our fragrance Glossier U. Um, you know, in, a, in an industry where typically you spend, you know, millions and millions, I'm talking like 30 to like $100 million launching a perfume. Um, we spent zero marketing dollars launching this fragrance and just made the most amazing scent. And um, it has just incredibly high reviews. Like perfumes are usually really divisive. Ours has just consistently like so much like fandom and love. And it's really turned into this kind of cult classic um, product that I love and I'm really proud of. All right, last question. Glossier is able to cultivate and create this community and culture through your product and experiences. How does that community and culture translate to your team at Glossier, and how do you hire people that share the same mindset, energy you have for the company? And do you actually want the same mindset, I would ask? Uh, there are elements that I think are critically important. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, for example, really being devoted to the customer, being super curious, um, very inclusive, and being inclusive actually is a great point. It, it's not about sameness, right? Inclusive is about welcoming like different diverse opinions, being able to say, hey, I, you disagree with me, I disagree with you, but I'm including you in this conversation because we're gonna 
hash it out, we're going to get to a better, you know, the right answer. Um, so I think those things are, are, are incredibly important at Glossier and are traits that, you know, some of our, our, our best leaders really, really exhibit consistently. Um, and I would say from the point of culture, you know, culture's kind of the thing that you think is like totally normal, but then you go somewhere else, like to a different company and you're like, whoa, like our company, my company is so different. I mean, you know, it's not better or worse. It's just things you sort of, you know, take for granted that are in the fabric of the company. And, um, Honestly, at Glossier, I think one of the things that we do is we weave a lot of fun into what we do. And I'm not talking like beer pong startup, you know, yeah. like, like fun. But um, we unveil our strategy every year at Camp Glossier. We take, you know, hundreds of people to two days of like, you know, um, cool. We make cool merch. We do like amazing, like, you know, activities. We had our, you know, a kickoff 2019 dinner that was kind of like, I was joking as I stood there, it looked like a vow renewal ceremony of like working at Glossier. It was like a big wedding, like mm -hmm. a Glossier wedding. Um, and it kind of was, it was like the new year. I was like, so you're all back. We're recommitting for the year ahead. Um, but you know, we put a lot of heart and soul into what we do. And I, I hope you know, I recently uh, was sitting next to at that dinner, actually a, a young woman who's an engineer who, who just started. And um, we were talking about how important it is that onboarding is uh, democratized. Onboarding is all of our responsibility. It's not just about two hour training. It's not just about, you know, here's a memo. It's about, you know, going up to someone in the bathroom while you're washing your hands and being like, hey, I've never worked. Are you new? I'm so-and-so, I, I do this. Um, and so I think that's also something that's, that's very much uh, unique to our culture. And, and, and let me add, what about diversity itself and bringing a more diverse culture into your company? Do you feel that you've done enough of that? That's something that is talked a lot about yep. in tech companies, but is never achieved. And one of the yep. things I've always, the, the excuses you always get, especially on boards and different, now you have a more diverse board, um, is that is standards like we have to keep our standards up and I always notice and I always say this that the only time standards are mentioned when it comes to women and people of color mm -hmm. that's the only time they use the word standards mm -hmm. and it's never that dumb 10 people who are on the board of Twitter who screwed the whole thing up mm -hmm. um, and it's often the case that some of these companies that I that I've noticed that they've failed because they lack a diverse group of people talking to them. There's, that's the reason there's bullying on Twitter. It's because most of the people who work there have never been bullied. They never understand people, mm -hmm. you know, people who have problems. Yeah, if you don't, How do you you're not the person that? in the room because working on the product, right. we won't even get started with the devices, Alexa mm -hmm. and Siri, and, mm -hmm. you know, they... You can say, you know, help, I've been raped. And they're like, what is rape? Or like, what it, or how, like, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, so. But not just that, but thinking about, because beauty's always been that way, like in terms of people of color and things like that. How do you look at that? Um, I mean, for us, it's just, it's intrinsic to, you know, it's a core value that we have uh, in terms of inclusivity. Um, we have a, a people of color group at Glossier um, that, you know, is actually involved in a like wide variety of decisions um, in the company. Um, I also think it's something that's just never finished. So when you say, do you do enough of that? I, would I mean, say, in products too, in terms of making products. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, you know, very inclusive of shade range. Um, I mean, it's, it's just something that's baked into everything we do. But that being said, I would say like, you're never done, right? There's always more that, that you know, we and others can be doing. Um, and I think for us, you know, it, it, it's something that, um, in particular, you know, certainly with women, that's something that we've we've really tried very very hard with, and increasingly we'll try to sort of make sure that we're representing c customers, the population. I think like the best products, whether they're digital products, when you talk about Twitter, I think it's fascinating. Um, I remember, wasn't it with the uh, Apple Health? Mm -hmm. It would track uh, your blood alcohol level, but wouldn't track your period. Right. At first, I mean, I think there's so many product decisions that. It's like, it's just good business also. It's like, why are you not including the right voices around the table to be able to like build better product? Um, yeah, that argument doesn't work, interestingly enough, in Silicon Valley. It's fascinating when you show them study after study. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't know. But I think for us, it's something that's, you know. You can't even appeal to their greed. It's so entrenched. It's really fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Usually you can, because they really like money there. Um, uh, so last question, I have one from a friend of mine who really likes your products. Uh, what is Glossier's non-makeup makeup look uh, signal, non-makeup makeup look signal about uh, the millennial Gen Z customers they're selling to? 
you think you have a non-makeup makeup look? Look, I'm ending on a makeup question. Yeah. Good God. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, for sure. I think, you know, one of the things we wanted to ensure with our products is uh, very user-friendly products. So things that don't require, you know, 15 brushes and are super tricky to use and are going to be complicated and aren't going to be able to just be intuitive. So intuitive products have meant certain decisions around, you know, um, making things that are blendable, that are sheer, that are layerable. Um, that being said, we really encourage our customers and our customers span tons of different, you know, kinds of makeup wearers. We have people who use Boy Brow who wear, you know, 50 makeup products every morning and spend two hours on her routine. And people wear Boy Brow is the only product she uses. So we're really excited about that um, and, um, and also continuing to, to build products for all different kinds of looks. And that's something that I'm excited for, for you all to see this year is some of the, the things that we're coming out with where um, it won't be so no makeup makeup, but will still be incredibly uh, intuitive, incredibly user-friendly um, and very fun. Okay, my very last question. There's a lot of probably entrepreneurial women and presumably men here. Um, what, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them to do that you've done well and one that you would not do? Um, I think the one like really practical piece of advice, particularly when you're starting and there are so many questions, like just every day is like, where do I begin, right? I mean, uh, really. Um, and I think one of the most, uh, the trickiest thing is honestly like yourself when you're in that stage because there's just such analysis paralysis and there's such a, sort of feeling like you're missing out, like there's an answer that you don't know. Like there's some playbook or there's some thing and you know, you're missing, you don't know, uh, you can go find the answer. And I think the piece of advice I would have there is um, just do the next right thing. Like it's truly a journey when you're starting out and you're an entrepreneur. The next right decision every time. Just keep thinking what's the next right decision. Um, and I think that helps you get somewhere. That really helps you like just get some momentum and leads you in the places you're supposed to go, because you cannot possibly chart that journey. Like you just could not map it in your mind. Um, what was the second part and of that? Question? One thing that you would not have done that you'd have taken back. I ask every entrepreneur this. One thing that I would not have done that I would have taken back: title inflation. This is very specific, but I wish I, I actually was talking to um, our, our people person, our HR person. We call it people team to say you need to write a blog post on Medium or something that's like the secret killer to startups, title inflation. Like you'd think it's like running out of money or like, you know, like having bad product market fit. I actually think it's um, this very specific thing. Maybe I'll write a blog post about it, but just don't give out titles. Like don't give out titles. Don't make people VP, SVP, co-CEO, whispering, operator, extraordinaire <laughs> post. Like just don't do it because if you're going to build something, you know, for many years, um, you're going to have to unwind that and it's going to be really painful. Yeah. So thing one and thing two, that kind of thing. <laughs> Thing one and thing two. Yeah. And you're just marketing. Okay, you're too young marketing. for that. You're in marketing. Right. You're in, you're in sales. You're in finance. Go do finance for like a year. Go do, you know, because it's just, I'm getting very, but it's good advice. I'm telling you guys, if anyone here is, or anyone listening is thinking, is, is starting something, just areas. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. People All right, areas. everybody. Emily Weiss. Thanks again to Emily Weiss for joining me on stage. And now that I know about Milky Jelly Cleanser, my life will be complete. And to the 92nd Street Y for hosting us. And thanks to all of you for listening. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please tell a friend about this show. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. Now that you're done with this, go check out our other podcasts, Recode Media and Pivot. You can find those shows wherever you found this one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode, and thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Saturday. Tune in then.